The Guardian. Mallory Blackman on The Guardian Children's Book Podcast. Hi, I'm Mallory Blackman and I'll be reading an excerpt from my book Boys Don't Cry. And this is from chapter one where Dante is waiting for his A-level results and his ex-girlfriend turns up. He's expecting the postman, but his ex-girlfriend Melanie turns up and she's not alone. She's brought a little baby with her. I sat down, more puzzled than ever. What was Melanie doing here? Just passing by didn't quite ring true somehow. Mel, why? Shh, she's fallen asleep, Melanie whispered. She placed the baby back in its buggy and she was so gentle the baby didn't stir once. Melanie straightened up, biting repeatedly at one side of her bottom lip. I remained seated. Abruptly, as if deciding something on the spur of the moment, Melanie dug into her oversized baby bag and withdrew a folded sheet of beige pink paper. Read this, she said, thrusting the paper at me. I hesitated. What is it? Read it. Frowning, I took it from her unresisting hand and unfolded it. It was a birth certificate. Child, name and surname. Emma Cassandra Angelina Dyson. Father, name and surname. Blank. Mother, name and surname. Melanie Marie Dyson. I stared at her. You, you're the baby's mother. Melanie nodded slowly. Dante, I, I don't know how to say this without... Well, without just saying it, she didn't have to say anything. The birth certificate explained so much, yet said so little. Melanie had had a baby. She was a mum. I had trouble taking it in. Melanie was my age, and she had a kid. Dante, I need to tell you something. Melanie wasn't even 19 yet. How could she have been stupid enough to have a kid at our age? Hadn't she ever heard of the pill? Kids were for people in their late thirties who had mortgages and steady jobs and serious savings in the bank. Kids were for those sad people who didn't have anything else to do with their lives. Dante, are you listening? Huh? I was still trying to wrap my head around the fact that Melanie was a mum. Melanie took a deep breath, closely followed by another. Dante, you're the dad. Emma is our daughter. Melanie's words hit me like a bullet between the eyes. I stared, searching her expression for a sign, some sign, any sign, that this was some kind of joke. But Melanie's expression didn't change. I leaped out of the armchair, ready to fling her words back at her, only my legs started to dissolve, so I collapsed back down. My gaze never left Melanie's face. I couldn't speak, couldn't breathe, couldn't think, certainly not over the sound of my heart pounding like a heavyweight boxer's blows. I sat, waiting, wishing, willing for Melanie to take it back, Ha! Not really. Just kidding. April Fool. Had you going, though. But she didn't say any of those things. It wasn't true. How could it be true? My stomach was heaving, dry heaving. My body started to shake, starting deep inside and working outwards like ripples on the surface of a pond. My heart wasn't the only thing that was pounding. My head was beginning to hurt. I started to remember things I didn't want to. The night of my friend Rick's party. The day after Boxing Day, almost two years ago now. 19, no, 20 months ago to be exact. Rick's parents were away on holiday, leaving Rick and his older sister home alone, except Rick's sister had decided to spend a few days with her boyfriend, leaving Rick all alone to party. I drank far too much that night, but then so had Melanie, so had everyone. I remember that night like viewing a series of snapshots. 
and as the night got later, the snapshots got blurrier. Melanie and I had been only going out for a couple of months, and I'd had a great Christmas. I'd got an electric guitar I'd been pestering Dad for, even though I knew he really couldn't afford it. Melanie bought me a watch. I bought her a necklace. On the way to the party, I warned her that the necklace would probably turn her neck green. That's okay, she smiled. You'll need a tetanus shot before you wear the watch. Just thought I'd warn you. We both laughed and started exchanging kisses, which by the time we got to Rick's house had grown into one long, long kiss before Rick flung open his front door and dragged us both inside. We danced and drank and snogged. We danced some more and drank some more and snogged some more. Someone called out that we should get a room, so a few minutes later, for a laugh, we snuck off and did just that. It had been the first time for both of us, the one and only time. And the whole thing, well, it was over before it even begun. So how could one encounter that lasted... No, that wasn't the wrong word. It hadn't lasted. It wasn't meant to last. And certainly not in the shape of a... Of a... Oh, my God. My gaze fell away from Melanie to the still-sleeping contents of the buggy. A baby. A child. My child. I don't believe you. I was on my feet again. My name's not even on the birth certificate. How can you be sure it's mine? I love Mum and Blackman's books because they're just so interesting and you can't stop reading them. I like her because her books are well-written and really thought-provoking. So, over the course of the book, Dante comes to terms with the fact that he's a, a dad at the age of 17. And it's quite unusual to have a book about teen dads, isn't it? I mean, we hear about teen mums all the time, but of course, if there's a teen mum, there must be a teen dad, yet we never hear about them. What prompted you to write about this subject? Well, that was exactly the reason, actually. I'd seen quite a number of books um, where the story was told from the mum's point of view, and I felt we really needed to hear from the the teenage dad's point of view. And I think um, there's a lot of negative press about teenage dads, and the the dads I was lucky enough to talk to and to meet um, devoted to their children and stepped up and wanted to be part of their children's lives and I just felt it was time that their story was told. So what kind of research did you do? I was lucky actually. I got to speak to some uh, a couple of guys who were f- friends of friends who were dads when they were teenagers. I did a number of case studies. I read a lot on the internet. I got a couple of books of, where teenage dads were talking about their experiences because I wanted to make sure I had the the tone of it right and what the teenage dad's concerns would, were going to be, which are not necessarily the same concerns of the teenage mum. I wanted to get Dante's voice right and make sure that his concerns and so forth were recognisable for anybody in that situation mm-hmm. and, and were also believable to people who aren't in that situation. And what, what are some of those concerns? Money concerns and how they're going to do the best for their child. It's how what's going to happen to their education, um, what their friends going to say, what their family going to say. Then they found, that although it's a life changing experience, the, the dads I spoke to said that it was so rewarding as well, which they didn't quite expect. In this book, for example, there's a scene where Dante is in a shop and then um, strangers in the in the same queue as him feel that they can say, "Oh, you're just a." scrounger and it's my tax money paying your child benefit and so on and so on and I kind of wanted to bring that in as well because it's a number of the dads I spoke to were very keen to try and get jobs to support their family and didn't want to live on benefits and I just feel that you know teenagers in particular and teenage dads do get a bad press and uh, and I wanted to do something to try and address that. It's a very masculine book I mean Dante is in an all-male household it's him his brother his dad his mother's died, there aren't any sisters, there's an aunt, but otherwise there aren't many females who are going to jump in and 
take on that mothering role? Was that deliberate? It was actually, because when I started the book, it was going to be Dante and his brother Adam and their mum. And I kind of felt that then the assumption is that the mum will take over. And I wanted it to be really Dante having to step up and be the parent to, to Emma. And so I thought, actually, I think this will work better if it's, a, as you said, a household full of men. They love each other, but it's never said. And there's a lack of communication in the house. And, and it's actually through having Emma in the house that it brings the whole family closer together. And I wanted to kind of explore that the way sort of men don't, tend to communicate in the same way that women do perhaps and and something drastic maybe needs to happen before things are brought out into the open and expressed in that way and that's why I I decided it would be far more interesting to have a household full of men and suddenly this young this girl this 11 month old baby is sort of thrown into the mix. Okay I've got some questions from our younger readers on the Guardian Children's book site. I'm James, I'm 12 years old. I'd like to ask Mallory if you write for boys or girls. Do you like writing boy characters or girl characters best? I write for both. Um, I definitely write for both. I don't um, select that way, but I must admit I do like writing boy characters. I find it actually very easy to write from a boy's point of view, and uh, I, I just love writing from a male perspective. So, uh, But I definitely, my books are for both boys and girls. I also want to ask, if you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? If I wasn't a writer, I think I would still be doing something to do with books, because I love books so much and reading, so I think I'd either be maybe an editor in a publishing house, or work in a bookshop, or a librarian, or something to do with books. Um, I just can't imagine not having a job that doesn't involve books in some manner, shape or form, so I would do that. My name is Queenie, I'm 14, and Knots and Crosses kept me completely gripped. How do you plot a book like that? Well, thank you, Queenie. I'm glad it kept you gripped. What I did was I I sort of had my story arc. I knew um, that it was going to be a story of Callum and Sefi and their daughter, Callie Rose. And as I said, uh, working out my characters, doing a biography of them, really getting to know them. And then having my story arc and then just starting and just seeing where the characters took me. And to be honest, when I first sat down to write Noughts and Crosses, I thought it was going to be one book. And it turned out to be four. I mean, they had so much going on in their lives. There's no way it was ever going to fit in one book. But it was that's kind of how I, I work. I always tend to... I like to know where I'm going with the story. Some people like to sit down and just see what happens and where the story goes. I, I do tend to plot them out a bit first, but with something like Pick Up Boy or the Noughts and Crosses series, it tends to be a very loose story arc because I don't want to be too prescriptive about where the story needs to go. I want my characters to kind of take me wherever I need to go in the story. Here's a question about characters from Laura, who's 10. Which of your characters do you like the best? The way I know that a, a book is working is when my characters feel like real people and I'm really concerned about what's going to happen to them and I, I, I look at them as real people. And, uh, and I certainly did that with the Noughts and Crosses series and with Boys Don't Cry, they were kind of... An, and the things they go through and I'm thinking, oh no! <laughs> sort of like, and it's kind of... And, and, and I'm really feeling their pain and I'm feeling their joys and so on and that's how I know a book is working when the characters feel like they're not just in my head and that's not something I've created they become real people to me. Finally we've got a very big question from Rachel haven't got her age. How can South Africa follow America's lead in combating racism? Depends on each country's situation I do feel that America still has a long way to go as far as the whole 
racism debate is concerned, I think it's wonderful they have a uh, black president or mixed race president, but that doesn't mean that racism now lo- no longer exists in America. As far as South Africa is concerned, I think they, the Truth and Reconciliation trials went a long way towards recon- reconciling with the South Africa's past. It sounds simplistic, but it's about talking, it's about communicating, it's not being afraid of your neighbours and about afraid of opening a dialogue. And sometimes these things are painful, but that doesn't mean we should shy away from them. Mallory Blackman on the Guardian Children's Book For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.